Is there a giant lurking behind the scenes, threatening to steal your joy? Discover how to banish fear and worry when you read Slaying the Giants in Your Life by Dr. David Jeremiah. This best-selling book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. For a gift of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, study guide, CD or DVD album, and more. And this month only, for just $60, you can receive this set immediately as a digital kit. Learn more and donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. Living with guilt is like bearing a heavy burden 24-7, being in constant submission to back-breaking anguish until that weight is removed. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to a chapter in the life of King David for a closer look at the burden of guilt and God's way of removing it. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Slaying the Giant of Guilt. When I was a student in seminary years ago, we had a professor who constantly was reminding us that in the Bible, there are central passages for every topic and every problem you face. And we had to constantly make that list and continually update it. I found that to be so very helpful and so very true. The two central passages on sin and forgiveness, the removal of guilt, are Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, both of them having to do with and having been written by David as he helps us see how devastating guilt can be and how wonderful it is to be forgiven. We'll be going back to those scriptures again in a few moments for part two of Slaying the Giant of Guilt. You can get this entire series in book form. It is a 200-page book that will give you everything that we've talked about so far and everything that we're going to talk about through the end of the series. The advantage of this is having the resource to go back and refer to. Also, it's a very good opportunity for you to take this material and begin to plan for a Bible study on these topics. Can you imagine the energy that would be generated by dealing with all of these topics one every week in your discussion? Here's how you can do that using this material. Today, we're making available the book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life. You can get that for a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month. Published by Thomas Nelson, it is yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point. And then the study guides and uh, the CDs are available from our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Get these materials. You be the facilitator. You read the book. Give everybody a study guide. You listen to the message. You come into the setting ready to lead the discussion. And I promise you, these topics will lead the discussion almost by themselves because everybody experiences these things we've been talking about. Why not do that while you're thinking about it? And uh, we'll talk more about that as we move through the month. Right now, let's get started with part two of Slaying the Giant of Guilt. Nobody knew what David had done except for Bathsheba and Joab. Then the Lord decided to send someone to help David out of his problem. God went to Nathan, who was David's preacher, if we can use that vernacular. And he said, Nathan, you have a parishioner who needs a visit. I want you to go and see King David, and I want you to confront him with what he has done. Obviously, the Lord God revealed to Nathan all that had happened in David's guilt and sin. 
At last, the thing that he had hidden for all of these months was known. At last, it was out in the open where he could deal with it. And he began to deal with his admission of his guilt. And that takes us to Psalm 51, where we read in the superscription that's written over the psalm. And if you follow your Bibles carefully and you study your Bibles carefully, you'll notice that you can get some good information just from reading what's written over the psalm. This is what it says on the title of the Psalm 51. Here's what it says. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So in other words, this psalm was written after this encounter that we just talked about when Nathan had confronted David with his sin. And David now is going to call out to God. And if you want to know how to deal with guilt in your life, if you have any guilt or if you've ever dealt with guilt, if you know somebody that's got guilt, here's what David did. And this is the pattern that we follow when we try to face the giant of guilt in our life. First of all, you need to understand that he accepts full responsibility for his sin. That's where it begins. He accepts full responsibility for his sin. He never tried to push it off on anyone else. He claimed full responsibility. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 51, you will notice how often he uses the personal pronoun. Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned. What was David doing? Stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility for it. You know, that's almost a lost art in our generation. We have come to such a wonderful way of excusing all of our ill behavior on other people and other things and the circumstances and the job and the environment and all of that. Well, I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for this. You know, the only way you will ever get freedom from guilt is to step up to the plate, acknowledge what you've done and take full responsibility for it. That's what David did. You say, well, I don't need that. Well, you need it if you want to get well. You need it if you want the burden lifted off of you. If you keep covering it and hiding it and pushing it away, then you will never know the relief that we're going to see David finds here in a few moments. Take full responsibility for his sin. He didn't blame heredity. He didn't blame society. He didn't blame this fallen nature. He just looked himself in the mirror and said, I'm the one. It's my responsibility. And then he acknowledges the sinfulness of sin. He doesn't try to soft pedal what he has done. He uses a number of words here in Psalm 51 that are very important. In these three verses, he uses four different words to describe what he had done. First of all, he uses the word transgressions. He said, Lord, I've transgressed. This is a word which means a revolt against the law. Lord, I've transgressed your law. And he uses the word iniquity, which has to do with the perverseness of man's nature. He uses the word sin, a word which means to miss the mark. And he uses the word evil, which is a vile thing that deserves condemnation. Now, the reason I say that is because it's so easy for us when we come to get rid of our guilt, whether it be a small or large thing, to try to pass it off as something not very important at all and not deal with it. How many of you know that when you confess your sin, listen carefully, confession is to say about your sin what God says about it, to acknowledge what you have done through the eyes of Almighty God, to say, God, this is what I've done, and this is what it is. It's sin. David wrote these words. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, will you not despise. 
In Psalm 32, 5, David talks about this prayer that he has prayed, and he reviews his confession, and this is what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's just plain language, plain talk from the Word of God. And you know, people do not talk about sin much anymore. It is a word that's gone out of our vocabulary. The awareness of sin used to shadow our forefathers. Christians of another generation hated sin. They feared it. They fled from it. They grieved over it. Some of our grandparents agonized over their sins. A man who lost his temper might wonder if he could still go to Holy Communion that week. A woman who for years envied her more attractive and intelligent sister might worry that this sin would threaten her very salvation. In today's group confessionals, it's harder to tell. We've come up with a new way to deal with sin. The newer language of Zion is like this. Let us confess our problem with human relational adjustment dynamics, and especially our feebleness in networking. Or, I'd just like to share that we need to target holiness as a growth area. Where sin is concerned, people just mumble. They don't ever come to grips with what it is. A sociologist by the name of James Davison Hunter has observed, school teachers no longer say anything as pointed as, stop it, please. You're disturbing the class, for these are judgmental words. Instead, to a strong-armed youth who is rattling classroom windows with his tennis ball, educationally correct teachers put a sentence together like this. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how does doing it make you feel? (laughs) Hunter goes on to say that the word sin finds its home mostly on dessert menus. Peanut butter binge and chocolate decadence are sinful. Lying is not. And we all know that, don't we? That we have fudged away the meaning of sin. And that's why there are so many guilty people walking around in our world today. Because there's no way to get rid of guilt until you first of all acknowledge that you've done wrong. And I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about anything. If you want forgiveness and relief from guilt, you have to step up to the line and take responsibility for what you've done. You have to acknowledge that what you've done is wrong, and then you have to make your confession to Almighty God. Notice what David said. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, it's not that David has forgotten that everybody else has been hurt in this thing, too. He knows that Bathsheba has been hurt manipulated through David's power play. Obviously, Uriah had the big hurt. He's no longer around. He knows that Joab has compromised his integrity to be a part of something that he had no choice in. And the little boy that was born to Bathsheba, certainly he was an innocent person who got hurt in this whole thing. So David's not saying, Lord, nobody else counts. But what he is saying is, Lord, when I look at what I've done, I realize that what I've done is first and foremost and fundamentally a violation of your holy standard. And God, I have grieved your heart by what I've done. And he confesses his sin to Almighty God. He sees that ultimately his sin is an insult and an injury to God, the God of grace, the God who had so wonderfully blessed him. And so he confesses his sin to God. There's only one person in this universe who can forgive your sin, and that's God Almighty. I cannot forgive your sin. I can pray to God for you. Your priest can't forgive your sin. Your pastor can't forgive your sin. There's only one person in all of the universe who can forgive sin, and that's Almighty God. 
So when you come with your guilt and you acknowledge what you've done and you accept the responsibility for it, then you offer it up to Almighty God and you say, Lord God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Now I want you to notice what David asked God to do for him in the answer to guilt. First of all, he said, God, remove my sin. Psalm 51, 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51, 7 says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51, 9, David said, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. It's interesting that the same intensity that David used to describe his sin, he now uses to describe the forgiveness from his sin. If sin is bad news, we're in the good news part right now because God is going to take care of this because David has come to him humbly and openly to confess what he has done. In verse 2, he asks God to wash him from his iniquity and cleanse him from his sin. He sees sin as a stain on his soul. And the word cleanse he uses is a technical word for the cleansing of a leper in the Old Testament. It's like David is saying, Lord, take away the leprosy from my soul and make me clean again. In verse 7, he prays to be purged with hyssop. In the Old Testament tradition, in the law, when a person came in contact with a dead body, they had to be ceremonially cleansed with hyssop. David knows that he has been in contact with death through Uriah, and so he prays to Almighty God, purge me with hyssop and make me clean. And then he says, Lord, blot out my sin. The sins of murder and adultery have no remedy in the Old Testament law in terms of proper sacrifice. The only way David could deal with these sins was to ask God to blot them out of the book. Lord, take the magic marker and just cross through them in the book that's written against me. How many of you know God can do that? That he will. And then David asked, Lord God, don't just forgive my sin, but restore my joy. How many of you know that when you've done something and you haven't dealt with it, That's got to be the most miserable experience you can go through. I mean, if you've ever lived with something that you know you shouldn't have done, that you haven't dealt with properly, and it's lurking back there in the background, and you're trying to deal with it, it can just take all of the fun out of life. Can I get a witness? And this is what David said. He said, verse 8, Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice And restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now David isn't asking God to give him back his salvation because he hasn't lost his salvation. But he's saying, God, give me back the joy of my salvation. How many of you know you can lose the joy of your salvation sometimes? You're walking along trying to honor God and you do something you shouldn't do. And then all of a sudden the joy is gone. And David wanted that joy back. You see, the problem with being a backslider, if I can use that old-fashioned word, is... That a backslider is going to be more miserable than a non-Christian will ever be because the backslider knows what it's like to be in fellowship with God and what he's missing by not being in fellowship with God. A person who's never known God would never know that. So David says, Lord, give me back my joy. Restore my joy. Make me hear my glad joy again in my heart. And Lord, renew my fellowship with you. Notice verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. To be cast away from the presence of God would mean that a person would be lost forever. David actually feared that he might be lost. But he prays that God would not take his Holy Spirit from him. And I'm reminded that there was a day when David became king, when in the Old Testament we're told that God removed his spirit from Saul and placed him in David. 
because of Saul's sin. David didn't want that to happen. He said, Lord God, don't ever take your Holy Spirit from me. And then David begins to refocus on the future. Notice in verse 12, uphold me, Lord God, by your generous spirit. Lord, I've been through this. I don't ever want to go through it again. How many of you know, if you've been through something like this, and you get on the other side of it, and you get it all taken care of, and you get it confessed and forgiven and all of that, there's a sense in which you need to sit right down then and make some covenants with God. Lord God, I don't ever want to go down this road again. I don't ever want to go through this mess again. So uphold me with your spirit. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Lord God, keep me focused now on the future so nothing like this ever happens to me again. That's what we ought to do when we fall to guilt. When we deal with guilt, we ought to come out of it with a new focus on the future, saying, Lord God, never let this happen to me again. If you go back to Psalm 32 in the first two verses, you will see what happened in David's life. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know what the word blessed means? It means happy. Happy is the man whose sin is forgiven. Let me tell you something, friends. I know this has been a little bit of a heavy sermon. I like sermons that aren't heavy, just like you do. But here's the good news. Listen to me. I don't care what you've done, how bad it may be, what anybody has said to you about what you've done. There is no sin that is too great that it cannot be forgiven by Almighty God. Do you hear me? God is willing to forgive any sin. You may think you have sinned away God's grace and that there's nothing God can do for you, but I'm here to tell you, no matter what you've done, God forgave a murder and adultery in one man. God forgave him, and God will forgive you. But he's not going to forgive you if you don't come at it the way David did. David came at forgiveness and restoration through his understanding of how God deals with us. Yes, God is gracious, but God doesn't trivialize what we do. When we face it, then God accepts what we've said and he forgives us as he forgave David. And as he wants to forgive any of us. And as he has forgiven me. You know, all of us have our little stories of things in the past that have happened and nobody knew about it. And how God uh, confronts us with our guilt. When I was a student back in high school, I worked for a hardware store in Cedarville, Ohio. The man who ran that hardware store was a hard taskmaster. And he put me up in the attic in that hardware store, cleaning up after the pipes where they would thread pipes and all the filings and stuff would be on the floor and it'd be full of oil and I'd come home every night just filthy dirty. It wasn't a fun job and it seemed like I got bad duty every day I went to work. And once in a while I'd get to work on the floor and one day I was working and someone came in from outside and I don't know what they wanted to buy. It was a $20 item that was out on the sidewalk and I sold it to them, took the money and I had to go do something and put the money in my pocket and I went home. And I didn't do that on purpose, but when I got home, I realized that I had kept that money and that it hadn't been put in the register. And so I got to thinking, you know, $20 was a lot of money to me. This guy had been working me way overtime and I hadn't been getting paid for it. I mean, I had the whole thing worked out, you know. 
So I just kept the money. I was maybe 15 years old. I didn't think about it a lot at first, but every once in a while I would think about it. Every time I wanted to do something for God, that'd come up. And I'd show that, you know, remember the hardware store, you know. <laughs> but, you know, my father was the president of the college in the city. I couldn't think of any way I could go deal with that, that it wouldn't be so embarrassing. And I figured, you know, I was saving my dad all this embarrassment by not dealing with it, which was noble on my part, you know. See, I, I know how to play all these games just like you do. And then I went off to seminary, and I got married, and we went to our first ministry in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, and I was working with a bunch of young people. And I remember particularly one time I was asked to go to the Bible Club camp in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, and speak to a group of young people. And I went by myself, and I was driving my car up to Upper Darby, and on the way up, I just became so overwhelmed with the guilt of what I had done. And I started figuring up the interest on $20 now for all these years. And uh, (laughs) so I stopped in this little town and I took, I think, $60 that I had in my pocket, put it in an envelope, and I addressed it to the Cedarville Hardware, but I didn't put any note in it or anything. I just put the money in the envelope, just sent it back. I figured now at least, you know, I've done this. Well, you know, I hadn't confessed it. I hadn't asked for forgiveness, and it was still heavy on my heart. And I know you're going to think I made this up, but I didn't make this up. This is the honest truth. I was preaching in my church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And the hardware company had a major convention in Fort Wayne. (laughs) And I was in the pulpit preaching. And to my amazement, you talk about Nathan. And they sat down in the third row. And I'll tell you what, I must have messed that message up so bad. I remember as soon as it was over and I could graciously get away, and we had a brief invitation, I walked off the platform and I went right back down there and I got their arms. I said, come with me. And I took them back to my study. And I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember several years ago getting an envelope that just had $60 in it and there was no note or anything? And he said, yeah, that was strange, wasn't it? He said to his wife, I said, that was for me. And then I started to cry because this has been something that I've been carrying for all these years. Isn't that something you could, how one little thing like that can just destroy you. And I said, Fred, I want to ask you to forgive me because I took some money when I was working for you as a 15-year-old boy. And I put it in my pocket and I took it home and I never did repay it. I tried to repay it with that money that I sent you, but I know that's not the way it's done. So I'm here in this study and I'm asking you to forgive me and they put their arms around me and hugged me and told me they loved me and thanked me for doing it and you know what I got to tell you something there is nothing like the knowledge that you've been forgiven amen that God forgives you that he will take away your guilt and you can live without guilt you don't have to deal with the guilt in your life you can be free from it God will forgive you and I think most people will forgive you too but you've got to ask God You've got to initiate the process. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven and whose iniquity is not counted against him. If you've never received the forgiveness of sin and the release of the guilt of your life, I ask you to do it today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for uh, being with us during this week as we have continued our discussion of the giants in your life and how to deal with them. 
As I mentioned, next week will be a full discussion of the subject of temptation and anger and resentment. You don't want to miss any of those sessions beginning on Monday. Friends, we are going to Alaska in July of this year, July 15th through the 22nd. This is our annual tour to Alaska. We'll have a whole lot of folks with us on this tour. But here's a couple of people that you'll be surprised to learn are joining us. James Brown and Tony Dungy from CBS are coming with us on this tour. Uh, they're coming with their families to enjoy Alaska, but have agreed uh, to spend one evening being interviewed by my son Daniel from the NFL Network talking about the NFL and what it means to be as a Christian there, uh, probably answering questions about your favorite NFL team. We'll have a great time with these guys. And we just uh, had the opportunity to meet James Brown. He came to the showing of Why the Nativity in Washington, D.C., and we had a wonderful time together. He's a wonderful man. He and his family will be there. I hope you'll think about coming especially some of you guys who've been dragging your feet. Your wife wants you to go on this cruise. Now you've got a really good reason. I hope you join us then. Friends, have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How are you being encouraged by this ministry? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and learn how to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The great preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse related a story about a farmer who successfully battled a wildfire that had threatened his farm. When the fire subsided, he found the body of a hen that had perished in the flames. And upon moving the hen with his boot, Four young chicks scurried out from beneath their mother's body. The mother hen had sacrificed her life in the flames to save her young. 
Jesus once used the same image, saying how he longed to gather lost souls under his protection, like a hen protects her chicks. Even with that offer, many today prefer to take their chances with approaching judgment. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover safety under God's wings on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.